0: Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Our listener support campaign concludes today. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank our two latest... Patreon supporters coming on board at the detective sergeant level of seven dollars and fourteen cents or more per month is old time radio man, which is obviously the best superhero, and Steve supporting the program at the shamus level of four dollars or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. You can also support the program by mail by sending a donation to Adam Graham. P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho 83715. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of Dragnet. The original air date, July the 7th, 1949. It's Production 5, also known as the Helen Corday Murder.
1: (laughs) The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
2: NBC brings you Dragnet.
1: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide. Somewhere in the tangled web of your city, there's a killer on the loose. A young woman has been brutally murdered. The weapon, a steel bludgeon. Your job is to get him.
2: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files, from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
3: It was Thursday, March 19th. It was foggy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 9.14 p.m. when I got to the old central jail building, third floor, the crime lab. Hi, Joe. How
4: you coming, Lee? Just trying a spectrograph. What'd you find? The paint flake from the victim's head matches that paint on the hunk of pipe. Any prints? No, well, the pipe was clean, no latent prints. Well, I figured. Anything else? Got those blood test reports. Couple of slides for you to look at under the comparison, Mike. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lee.
3: Oh,
5: hi, Joe. Didn't hear you come in.
3: What's it look like, Ben?
5: Well, here's the blood test reports. This one is blood found on the piece of pie. Uh, Type A. This one's blood from the victim.
3: Type A.
4: They match. That's right, boys. Doesn't mean too much, though. Did you look at these slides under the microscope? No, not yet. Well, this is your clincher. Wait till I get the light. Okay, take a look. Mm Mm-hmm. Got a make? Yeah, go ahead. Well, this slide here on the right... Mm Mm-hmm. That's a slice of hair from the victim's head. On the other slide is hair found on the steel pipe. Yeah. She had wavy hair. Both specimens are flat. Same hair, Joe. You got anything on that piece of pipe, Lee? Mm, Nothing. Just ordinary steel pipe. 14 inches long. What else you got? The plaster impressions of those footprints we found by the body. Here they are. Hmm. Crepe sole? Tennis shoes. New one. Size 9. Good impression. Ground was Soft. Man, about 150 pounds, according to the length of stride, roughly about 5 feet, 10 inches tall. Yeah, new shoes all right. You can still read the manufacturer's label. That's right. Made by the Sport King Company. Well, that's something to follow up. Yeah, sure. You could start with the tennis courts. Only about a 1,000 or so in L.A. Maybe you'd rather track down the brand. These particular tennis shoes are the biggest sellers in the country. Yeah. Where'd you like to start, Minneapolis or Pullman, Washington? What about that glove? Yeah, you might look for a missing glove. Yeah, They go well with the shoes, just about as common. White cotton work gloves with a blue top. Here's the right glove. You find the left one.
3: Blood on a glove? Type A. Well, that's good evidence, Jones, but where's the lead?
4: Now, look, I don't ask you to pay my parking tickets. You want to see blow-ups? Okay. Right over
3: here. Oh, yeah. This is the vacant lot where they found the body. Yeah, that's right.
4: Here's a close-up of her showing the location of the murder weapon, the glove, and the footprints relative to the position of the body. Looks as bad as yesterday. Sure did work her over, didn't it? The rest of these are morgue shots. Interested?
3: No, I checked them this morning. Once is enough, Lee.
4: Well, that winds it, boys. You want to go over the stuff in her purse again? You find anything more? No, nothing you haven't seen already. The usual. Makeup, comb, barrette. It's a hair clip. Mm-hmm. A few cheap stones in it. Loose change, a quarter, nickel, a few pennies. Her I.D. card.
3: Yeah. Helen Corday. 33, Naomi Place. Age 21. 21. That's not very old, is it, Lee? Not to die. No. (laughs)
6: Helen
7: Corday... Who could kill Helen Corday? Why?
3: Why do you say that, Mr. Meyer?
7: People kill for money. They, they kill for love. Helen Corday had none of these. No boyfriend? Not in here. No, she was a good worker. Five different waitresses the union sends me one month. Five! Did the union send Helen to you? Oh, sure, sure. All the girls come from the union, but none like Helen. Oh, she was sweet, honest, and courteous. Mr. Meyer, did you know anything about her personal life? Only that she was a good worker. Everything else she took home with her from this place.
3: Did she ever mention any men to you, anyone at all? No
7: gentlemen, not one. How much money did
3: she make here?
7: I paid her $26.50 a week, every Tuesday. Not much salary for so much work, but the tips are very good here. Nice customers.
3: Mm -hmm. This her home address, 33 Naomi Place?
7: 33 Naomi, that's right, yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Maher, for your time. I wonder what kind of a person does things like that. Who could kill Helen Corday? Everybody liked Helen.
8: Helen Corday? I never liked her. Come on in the office, boys, where we can talk. Never liked her because I never knew her.
3: You the head of the union? Not
8: just a steward. I know most of the girls. This Corday girl, what was she, What's she look like? Small brunette, about 5'3". Uh, here's a picture. Yeah. Pretty girl, wasn't she? Oh, sure, sure. Placed her out at Otto's place. Nice little Dutch fella.
3: Out Meyer. That's right. He seemed to think quite a lot of her.
8: Oh, yeah, she was a fine worker. Oh, sure. Always right up on her dues. Paid all the assessments right on time. I thought you said you didn't know her. Well, not right off I didn't, but when you showed me that picture there, placed her right away.
3: you know anything about her personal life?
8: Now, wait a minute. Why all these questions?
3: Helen Corday was murdered last night.
8: Oh. Who did it?
3: you know anything about her personal life? Well,
8: oh, you can see my position, Sergeant. 1,200 girls. Check them in, check them out. Ah, oh, just names to me till
3: I see a picture of them.
5: You wouldn't know if she had any boyfriends here in the Union. Waiters, busboy. That I wouldn't know.
8: Like I tell you, Sergeant, I never knew Helen Corday. Sure I knew Helen Corday. Gus
6: plays a nice piano, huh, Sergeant? Yeah, I read about it in the paper this
5: morning. How long have you been
3: selling pianos here at this place?
6: About as long as I knew Helen. Three years. How'd you find me?
3: Helen's landlady. We talked to her yesterday. She told us she worked here at this piano store.
6: Oh. It's funny, isn't it? What's funny? See Gus over there? That fellow demonstrating the piano? A few weeks ago, I made a deal with him to give Helen piano lessons. I figured it would help her with her singing lessons. Wanted to be a singer, you know.
3: Did Helen know that fellow, Gus?
6: No, she never met him.
5: Who gave her the singing lessons, Miss Olsen?
6: She took from Ostrander. Paul Ostrander, out on Melrose. A lot of movie people used to take from him.
3: What do you know about her personal life? How do you mean? Does she have any boyfriends?
6: Well, yes.
5: You don't seem sure, Miss Olsen.
6: Well, it's just that I don't know. I never asked Helen. But she did have a few dates with Paul Ostrander. I don't... Thinks she was serious.
3: How about Ostrander?
6: Gee, I, I don't know, Sergeant. I don't want to involve anybody.
5: You want to help us find the killer, don't you? Well,
6: yes, but if you're thinking Paul Ostrander did it... No, I'm sure he didn't kill her. <laughs>
7: That's all for today, Victoria. No, gentlemen, I did not kill Helen Corday.
3: You gave her singing lessons, Mr. Ostrander. You knew her pretty well?
7: Yes, I gave her voice coaching for about a year and a half. Helen showed a little promise. Not a great voice, a bad vibrato.
3: You knew her pretty well.
7: Why do you say that? Mr. Ostrander, didn't you used to
5: take her out once in a while? No. No. I didn't know Helen socially at all. We
3: know you had dates with her.
5: That's not true. Only times I saw her was when she came here to the studio for lessons. You better tell the truth, Mr. Ostrander. We can prove that you've been out with
3: her. Afraid of the publicity, is that it?
7: Certainly, that's it. I have a successful business here. I've spent years building it. Anything like this would ruin
3: me. Then you have been out with her. Only a few times.
7: Nothing serious. I had nothing to do with her murder. Now,
5: that's the truth. Don't you know that withholding information about a thing like this can go kind of hard for you? Yes, I
7: know that. What else could I do? Mr.
3: Ostrander, somewhere in this city right now, there's a guy who beat a young girl to death. He crushed her skull with a piece of steel pipe. We need every bit of information we can get to track him down. I know that, Sergeant. You could have come to us. We wouldn't run to the newspapers with it. If the information's confidential, that's the way we treat it. Most of the time, it's the people who run to the newspapers first. Then they come to us. That's right, Mr. Ostrander. People are their own press agents.
7: Sergeant, I'd like to know what right you have to invade my privacy and lecture me
3: on my civic duty. All right, I'll tell you what right, Ostrander. We want the man who murdered Helen Corday. I got as much right as he had at 1214 this morning. Come on, Joe. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Ostrander. Sorry if I invaded your privacy.
8: Chief of Detective's office, Alan. No, I'm sorry, ma'am. You got the wrong extension. Try two five one one. You're welcome. Hi, Friday, Romero. Chief's been looking for you. Thank
5: you, Mike. Come on, Joe. Yep. Yeah.
3: Hello, Joe. Ben. Sit down. What'd you get? A notebook full of notes, a crime lab full of evidence, nothing to tie them together.
5: Uh, These some of the people you interviewed?
3: Yeah, those and about a dozen more we didn't even take notes on.
5: It's hard to figure, Skipper. Everybody seemed to like this girl.
3: Helen Corday, no known relative.
5: Single, unattached girl, living all alone in the city.
3: Few friends and no enemies, none we can find anyway.
5: Are you uh, satisfied that all the people you interviewed are in the clear? Well, if we're going to stick to the simple robbery motive, we are. The kind of money Helen Corday made wouldn't interest those people. How are you doing on the outside leads?
3: Nothing. If we could just find one hole someplace, anything.
5: All right, now look. You've got a lab full of evidence across the street. You've got a book full of names here. You've got the pieces. Now fit them together. They just don't add. Well, go over
3: them and keep going over them until they do add. Anything from the informants? No, nothing so far. No tips on anybody that's been dough-heavy lately. Nobody's shooting off their mouth.
5: Uh, The guy we want won't advertise. Figures himself a pretty smooth operator. But he probably made a mistake somewhere along the line. We'll find it.
8: Got a hot shot, Ed. Yeah? 3220 Casino. Woman, probable attack.
5: All right, Friday. You and Ben run it down.
3: We ran down the hot shot call for 3220 Casino turned out to be a typical dead-end lead. Her name was Mrs. Lillian Horn. For the past five years, Mr. Horn had been paid regularly on Wednesdays. He spent all day Thursday drinking up his paycheck and beating his wife. The call had no connection with the Corday murder. We made the usual call into communications. Unit 80K to Control 1. 80K to Control 1.
6: Control 1 to 80K. Go
3: ahead. On that probable attack, 3220 Casino. Code 4. 80K. Roger. 80K to Control 1, KMA 367. That was the beginning. For the next three days, we followed up every lead and every call, but they were all blind. All units were alerted, and they had as much information on the killer of Helen Corday as we did. Ben and I cruised throughout the entire Central Division. We covered every probable call that might have some connection with the murder.
6: Attention, Unit 41R. 1654 Swanson Terrace A woman Victim of probable attack Code 3 Unit
3: 41 It didn't make any difference what the call was If there was a possibility it might tie in with the Corday murder We ran it down We made it a 24 hour job So far, if the killer made a mistake We hadn't been able to find it The Corday funeral was on Monday They were all there The girl's landlady The voice teacher, Ostrander The girlfriend Marie Olson, the man from the union, and her boss Otto Meyer. But nobody else we hadn't checked. That was Monday afternoon. Monday night, we went back to the old routine, tracking calls during the night in the squad car, picking up small threads that led nowhere. Three more days of the same thing. Thursday morning, one week after we found Helen Corday's body, we got an anonymous phone tip.
9: I know who killed Helen
4: Corday. His name's George Barlow. He lives at 418 White Oak Avenue. He used to date her up all the time. Get him and you've got the murderer.
3: We checked George Barlow and about 10 others just like him. None of them knew Helen Corday. Saturday night, Ben and I were back in the squad car, cruising the Central Division. Saturday night's a good night for robbery. By 10 p.m. we'd run down four various calls.
6: 123, Code 1. 123, Roger. 12G, call your station. Unit 13R, 1254 Tower Road. A woman screaming. Investigate
3: the trouble. Code 2. Let's handle that one, Ben. Yeah, okay. I'll notify communications. Unit 80K to control 1. 80K to control 1. Control 1 to
6: Unit 80K. Go ahead.
3: On your 1254 Tower road call, we are in the vicinity. We will handle.
6: 80K, roger.
3: 80K to Control 1, KM 8367. Let's go, then.
6: Roll 1 to 13R, disregard
5: your last call. Handled by 80K. It should be right about here. Oh, uh, here it is. 1254. Ah! <laughs> that man, he tried to kill me. He's running on the street, Where?
8: He's getting to that car. Come on.
5: Where'd he go, Joe? Turn right
3: at the next corner. That's him up ahead. He's got a good lead on us. Hit the siren. He's gaining, Joe. Took a left at the next corner. Oh, he isn't gonna stop. Close in as tight as you can, Ben. Down to the floor now. Swing out to the left a little. I'm going for his tires. Right. All right, that'll slow him down. Pull up on him. Yeah. All right, you. Keep both hands on that wheel and get over to the curb. Go over me, Joe. Right. Out of that car, mister. Shake him down.
5: Hey, take it easy, will you? I haven't got a gun.
3: Put the cuffs on him.
5: Hey. You boys work fast. What am I do with the gas chamber?
3: Just save that, mister.
5: It's pretty rough treatment for speeding, All huh? right, Come on, you. Look, I I got a right to know where you're taking me. What's the charge? We'll let the girl tell you. What girl?
3: You just sit there and be quiet, huh?
5: Oh, I know where you're going. place back on Tar Road. Well, I asked to use the phone. The girl slammed the door in my face. I don't know what you cops are trying to prove. I just wanted to use the phone, that's all. I even tried to scare her a little. I, I told her I'd hit her over the head if she didn't let me use the phone. It's a laugh, huh? All right, you, get out. Yeah, I suppose. So. Get out. Hey. Okay. I got nothing to hide. That little girl's gonna lie, you know that, don't you?
9: Who's there?
3: Police officers. His full name's Frank Philip Larson. They had no previous record.
5: This the girl's report? Yeah, that's it, Scaper. Judy Scott. How old is she? He's 19. She's a babysitter. Real tough boy, isn't he? Forced his way into the house. Beat her about the neck and arms.
3: A tire iron. We found it in his car. Jones is running it through the crime lab.
5: Asked her if she had any money. She told him no. Struck her again. Where's this Larson live?
3: Hotel out near Santa Monica. He's a clothing salesman. Ed works for a big men's store, Burns & Company. According to the housebook sales record, he bought a pair of tennis shoes two weeks ago.
5: Weighs 158 pounds, 5 foot 11 inches. Tennis shoes are missing. They're not in his hotel room, and he's not wearing them.
3: What else did you find? A rhinestone. You mean a pin? No, just a small, loose stone recovered from the rug in Larson's room.
5: Crime lab got it?
3: Working on it now. Ed, we got the man who killed Helen Corday. (laughs) A few scraps of circumstantial evidence and a hunch. That's not much to go on. Larson had gone after the little Scott girl with the tire iron. Wasn't much of a tie-in, but we had to be sure. All that day, we checked Frank Larson's alibi for the night of Helen Corday's murder. We interviewed the personnel manager at Burns & Company where he worked. We talked to all the clerks who knew him. The manager of the hotel where he lived. We found out everything we could about Frank Larson. And that night at 10 o'clock, we had the prisoner brought to the interrogation room.
5: How are you, Larson? Fine. Just fine. I like jail.
3: Sit down. Lousy weather. Been foggy all over town. I wouldn't know. I've been inside all day.
5: How old are you, Lorton? 31. Same as the last time you asked me. Where'd you go to school?
3: I didn't. I was born smart. You sell clothes, don't you, Lorton? We know you work for Burns and Company. Remember? You told us.
5: What is all this? What are you guys trying to build?
3: Just want to know if you like selling clothes. That's all. What
5: do you coppers
3: know about clothes? One blue surge
5: a year is your speed. You know quite a bit about clothes, don't you? I've been selling them for five years. Can you
3: tell me something I've been wondering about?
5: What's that? Are your socks and tie always supposed to match?
3: That's what the style books say. Bet you always know the right things to wear, don't you? You wouldn't wear black shoes with a brown suit, would you?
5: Is that what you're keeping me here for?
3: Style, isn't. Oh, would you? Would you wear black shoes with a brown suit? Most people wouldn't. Bet you wouldn't wear brown shoes with a tuxedo, either.
5: I been smoking too much. You got a glass of water? Oh, yeah, sure.
3: There you are, Lorton. Nice. That's good and cold. How about it? Would you ever wear brown shoes with a tux? Nobody would. That's a navy blue flannel you got on there, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good-looking suit.
5: Top-run sometime. Get you a good deal.
3: Suit like that flannel there you're wearing... You'd never wear tennis shoes with an outfit like that, would you? What do you think? I think you did. I think you wore them the night you killed Helen Corday. Who? Maybe you didn't have the blue suit on, but you were wearing tennis shoes. Sport King, size 9. Sell for $5.95. You picked them up at a discount. Cost you three and a quarter. Where'd you get that? Out of the house book, Burns and Company. You wouldn't have those shoes around now, would you? We couldn't find them in your hotel room.
5: Your boss, Mr. Craig, used to think a lot of you, Larson. Before you started drinking on the job, your commission to run pretty high up to the last couple of months. What happened? That cheap ride get to you? Well, you two really nosed around,
3: didn't you? When are you
5: going to tell me what I eat for breakfast?
3: Corn flakes, cup of coffee, donut, sometimes two donuts when you're hungry. Elsie waits on you at the Royal Cafe. She gets a dime tip. Can I
5: have some more of that water? Help yourself, as it's cool. Huh?
7: They're good and cold.
3: How about it, Larson? Where are the tennis shoes.
7: They
5: wore out. In three weeks? Can't be very good tennis shoes. No, they didn't wear out. What'd you do with them? You know all the answers.
3: You figured it out.
5: We know you bought the tennis shoes. We don't know where they are now. We know you had them. Size 9.
3: Three feet from the body of Helen Corday, we found two size 9 footprints made by a pair of Sport King tennis shoes. We
5: figured the man weighed about 150 pounds.
3: You weigh 158. Figured he's about five foot ten. You're
5: 5'11. You come awful close to being the same build as the man who killed Helen Corday, don't you, Larson?
3: Man, you wear the same size tennis shoes, same brand name. A lot of people
5: wear nines. It's the average size. They sell a lot of Sport King's, too. Everybody wears them.
3: If we could find your pair, it might make a difference.
5: Doesn't mean your tennis shoes made the prints with a body. Doesn't prove it it didn't, neither.
3: What'd you do with them, Larson? I threw them away. That's too bad. might make a difference.
5: Oh, no, what difference could it make? I threw them away, that's all. Now, how about the mate to this glove? I never saw it before. Found this right-hand glove by the body of Helen Corday.
3: Just an ordinary
5: cotton work glove. Everybody wears them. If we could find the missing left glove, why, well,
3: might make a difference. Size, medium, that's average, too, isn't it, Larson? I never sold work gloves. I wouldn't know. No, but you
5: bought work gloves, haven't you? Not a pair of those. I mean like this, don't you? We only got one. What kind of work
3: gloves did you buy? I didn't buy any. You just said
5: you did. I never said I bought any work gloves.
3: You bought tennis shoes, though, didn't you?
5: I told you I bought the tennis shoes.
3: Didn't I tell you I bought them? No, you didn't tell us. We told you. Found out from Burns and Company where you were. All right,
5: you told me. I bought them. You know that. Same kind of tennis shoes that made footprints by Helen Corday's butt.
3: It wasn't me. Then why won't you tell us what you did with them? I've you? already told you. I threw them away. They were
5: only three weeks old. They must have worn out awful fast. I
3: didn't say they wore out. They got too dirty. No, you told us they wore out. Remember, Larson?
5: I don't remember what I told you, but I don't have them now. We know you don't have them now. Where are they? He told us.
3: They got too dirty. Right, Larson? Yes. Yes, yes, that's what I said. Anyhow,
5: you haven't got them now. No, I haven't got them now.
3: All right, now, just for the record, Larson, which was it? Did they get too dirty or did they wear out?
5: Whatever I said before. You
3: said both before, Larson. All right, I said both.
5: You haven't got anything on me.
3: We got that little Scott girl statement from last night. She says you tried to kill her. She's lying.
5: I told you she'd lie, didn't I? I only wanted to use a phone.
3: She says you hit her with a tire iron. Did you hit her with that iron?
5: No, I only tried to scare her. I didn't hit her with anything.
3: Then how'd you get those marks around her neck and arm? Police doctor says they were made with that tire iron. I
5: don't care what your doctor says. I didn't hurt her. Now, what
3: do you mean, Larson? You didn't hurt her or you didn't hit her with that tire Neither iron.
5: Neither one. I just wanted to use a phone. How'd you know she had a phone? I didn't know if she had a phone. I just went up to find out. To find out what? To find out if I could use her phone.
3: But you said you didn't know if she had a phone.
5: I don't know anything the way you twist everything around.
3: Sorry, Larson. We only want the truth. How about a cigarette?
5: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could use one. Hmm. Here's light.
3: Larson, where were you Wednesday night, March 18th? How many times you going to ask me that same question? Just want to make sure we got it right. I told you this morning. I went to a show. I got
5: out about 11, had a beer, and I went home. What time did you get home? About 11.30. Did you stay home? I went to bed. What did you see at the show? I never remember the names. Of you them. ought to try to remember this, and it's pretty important. Well, it was a deluxe theater. It was... Spencer Tracy and something. What was on when you walked in? The news. I never go in in the middle of a picture. Neither do I them for me. Yeah,
3: that's right. The girl in the box office doesn't remember seeing you go I mean, in. She knows. It was Keno night. There was a big crowd. Did you win anything? I never
5: do. Anybody hit the jackpot? I don't remember. They give away a lot of money in those neighborhood theaters. I always remember who hits the jackpot. Well, all right, you do. I don't.
3: Do you remember if anybody won the jackpot? I told you, no. Do they have a jackpot at that show? I guess they do. I don't know. You know, it
5: was Kino night. You should know if they had a jackpot. Maybe they had a jackpot. I don't know. I went out for a smoke.
3: You said the cartoon was on when you walked in.
5: Why do you always twist what I say? I told you the
3: news was on when I went in. You
5: remember anything about the newsreel? It was ten days ago. How do I know I was in it?
3: I only know it was a newsreel. That's all. You're lying, Larson. We checked your alibi. The manager of the theater had to cut the newsreel Wednesday night because the show was running long with Kino Night.
5: You didn't go to the show Wednesday night, did you?
3: All right, maybe I didn't. I don't remember. What's the difference? The difference is you could have been in that vacant lot the same night, the night Helen Corday was murdered. I didn't kill her. You can't prove I did. Interrogation room, Friday. Hiya, Jones. It did, huh? You're positive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Lee.
5: Sure you don't want to tell us what you did with those tennis shoes? I'm not going to go back over all that. I've told you guys all I'm going to tell you.
3: You know how the Corday girl was murdered?
5: How would I know? I don't know anything about it.
3: She was on her way home from work, as usual. About midnight. Of course, you were home in bed about that time.
5: But you didn't go to the show that night, Larson.
3: On her way home, Helen Corday always took a shortcut across a vacant lot. She was about halfway through the lot when the murderer tried to grab her purse. She screamed and he struck her. Hit her several times with a piece of steel pipe 14 inches long. He beat her to death with that piece of steel pipe. Then he dropped the pipe in a right-hand cotton work glove. He left two footprints, size 9s, sport King tennis shoes. I know all that. Well, here's something you don't know. When the killer scooped the paper money out of that girl's purse, he accidentally took along a loose rhinestone, a stone that fell out of a cheap barrette in the bottom of her bag. He carried that stone home with him. When he reached in his pocket to pull out the money he stole from her, the rhinestone fell on the floor. So? We found that rhinestone on the rug in your hotel room.
5: I haven't lived in that hotel room all my life. Maybe the tenant before me dropped it there.
3: No, not this one. We checked the cement that held it in that barrette. It matches the glue on the stone. No, Larson, that rhinestone came from the hair clip that Helen Corday wore before she was murdered. That's enough
5: to take you to the district attorney with. What am I supposed to say? We want you to tell
3: us the truth. Why did you kill Helen Corday?
5: Yeah?
8: You want the sandwiches and coffee now, Sergeant?
5: Bring them in, Mike. Looks like we're going to be here a long time.
8: I brought you ham, cheese, and liverwurst. And some fruit. Coffee's black. Cream and sugar on the side. Mm, Thank you, Mike. That looks good. What
4: kind
5: do you want, Larson? Ham, cheese, liverwurst. Oh, you're not hungry? Okay. Sandwich, you? No, thanks.
3: I think I'll have an apple, huh? Yeah.
5: Okay. I fixed you a plate
3: there, Larson. Coffee's right here. Fine apple. Mm. Nice and fresh. Is this a Washington apple? Yeah, I don't know. Is that, that coffee hot enough? No, it's fine. Where'd Mike pick these up?
5: Well, in
3: Crosstow, straight. Eddie's? No, uh-huh. hmm. I do take good. Well, drink your coffee anyway, Larson. It's getting cold. All right! All
7: right! I didn't want to kill it. She screamed, and I hit her. All I wanted was her purse. That's all I wanted. She, she wouldn't give to me. She had to fight back, so I hit her. I, I didn't want to kill her. All she had to do was give me the purse, and I wouldn't know whether I... I, 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 was, I was drinking, and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I was drunk. I was drunk. I didn't, I didn't mean to kill her. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to kill her. I didn't, I didn't mean to kill her. I,
9: Mike, yeah, Joe. stay with him. We'll call the stenographer. Right.
5: See you tomorrow, Joe. Good night. Yeah.
3: Sour racket, huh?
1: The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to
2: protect the innocent. Frank Philip Larson was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard the fifth in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department.
1: Tonight's program is dedicated to police officer Charles A. Brady of the Chicago, Illinois Police Department, who on the night of September 2nd, 1945, gave his life so that yours might be more secure.
2: Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: Welcome back. This episode really sees Friday running into frustration, and we get a sort of flare of temper that's not typical of the character, particularly at this point. When you get into the latter episodes of the 1950s TV show, and certainly in the 1960s, the sort of temper that you hear here is a little bit more common, although I think in that case it comes off as more of a controlled anger at the situation by a police veteran. This episode is probably one of the few times that we're reminded that Romero is the more experienced partner as he calms Friday down in an older brother sort of way. Uh, There's more of a sense of outrage in this episode with the snuffing out of a life of such a young woman and with witnesses who waste the police time with nonsense uh, while they're trying to solve such an important case. It also captures a key value with the police's reaction to someone attacking someone who's physically weak and less capable of defending herself On the second assault, even before they found out the suspect was behind the Helen Corday killing. It's this idea that someone who does that is less of a man that you definitely get a feel for in this episode. The interrogation scene, without a doubt, is the highlight for me anyway. Through the performances, subtle dashes of music and sound effects, it really captures the psychological pressure of being interrogated, particularly as a guilty suspect. And really, all the pressure is on the suspect. The part where they're talking about the food is key, as the suspect is under pressure and feeling the tension of the moment while the officers are not. It gives him a moment to process and take Stalk of the situation he's in, and really, that's all it takes for him to realize they have him dead to rights, and his tactics are utterly useless. Stacy Harris is perfect for this sort of role. He's got the range to believably play someone going from cool as a cucumber to a total breakdown in 10 minutes or less. On another casting note, Raymond Burr took over the role of Ed Backstrand from Charlie McGraw, who played uh, Backstrand for the June episodes. Burr really is a bit of an upgrade, in my opinion, as he is a perfect voice of authority and he makes an interesting addition to the cast. I'm also fairly certain that Hans Conrad played the dance teacher. He may have also have played the cafe owner, but he was definitely the dance teacher. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Steve. Steve has been one of our Patreon supporters since June of 2015, currently supporting the program at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Steve. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back next Saturday with another episode of Dragnet, but join us back here on Monday for The Adventures of Sam Spade, where... The day I got word
9: I could move here, I packed up and had them take my things out to the taxi. Then I went to the desk and got my money from the vault. Oh, how much? $840. Cash? Okay. Yes, in bills. Mm-hmm. My annuity money had just come to me. Well. Well, I just put the bills in my purse and was starting out the door when it happened. Mm-hmm. This voice came over my shoulder. A soft, Latin voice saying, Senorita, I come to you on a matter of Terrible urgency.
5: And lo and behold, it was Senor Palmera.
9: How did you know?
3: Oh, I have a feeling for those things. Huh. Go ahead.
9: Well, his uncle, Don Luis Alvaro, was in terrible trouble, he said, in prison in Mexico City on some sort of trumped-up political charge. Ah, and the family, though noble,
5: was financially impoverished.
9: Uh, yes, Except,
5: for, Except the... for a casket containing the family jewels and an assortment of priceless heirlooms, all hundreds of years old, handwrought of the finest virgin gold. Mr. how however.
9: Everything... Said
5: caskets and its precious hoard being hidden away in a secret place known only to Don Luis. All he needs is a paltry $840. It, it, it was a thousand.
9: I went to the bank.
5: A paltry thousand dollars to bribe a jail official, and presto, Don Luis goes free, unearths the
1: casket, and rewards you with an ample share of the family treasure.
9: Mr. Spade, you've talked to Senor Palmera.
1: Nope. How badly do you need the dough?
9: Oh, need it. Why, good heavens, Mr. Spade. It, it's all I have until next June. There's a small pension from the school board in Keokuk, but... Dear me, I I don't know just how. Mr. Spade, you mean he... He isn't coming back?